When I think about electricity and the power of electricity, it's the workhorse of the modern world. It's readily available with a flick of a switch in our, in our country in particular, and is touted as one of the greatest engineering achievements of the 20th century. Over the course of that 20th century, we saw significant lifestyle improvements ranging from appliances in our homes to powering modern medicine. Electricity powers our economy by keeping businesses and manufacturing running. And today, we further rely on electricity to keep us connected through technology. Following a century of advancement off of the electric grid, we often take reliable availability of electricity for granted. From that first moment our alarm goes off to that first cup of coffee, through the systems we rely on throughout our workday, to the end of the evening when the dishwasher turns on and the last light turns out, we don't give a second thought to all the work that happens to deliver those electrons to that switch. As demands for electricity continue to grow around the globe, we rely on it even more than ever for a growing list of uses and needs. Reliability has become more significant than before. And as we experience more extreme weather, weather patterns due to climate change, our ability as an industry to be resilient and rapidly restore power is inextricably linked to our quality of life and orderly societal norms. As many elements of our electric grid are undergoing transformation, whether it be the type of generation, power marketing, behind the, behind the meter technology, transportation electrification, it is clear that our reliance on electricity continues to accelerate. It's also clear that coming out of the global pandemic, we've seen segments of our population experience disparate impacts from the pandemic. Those impacts have furthered the divide and further impacted underserved elements of our population. We must be intentional about accessibility of our modernized grid, of our clean energy resources, and ensure affordability and accessibility for all. We started in hard times to bring us all in, into the laughter. I'm Karen Heim, today's host and the office administrator for the Public Power Council. I'm Almaz Nagesh, co-host of Public Power Underground and Power Planner for Tacoma Power. And I am Humaira Falkenberg, Power Resource Manager at Pacific PUD. Joining Almaz, Humaira, and I this week as celebrity today's celebrity guest star is Jackie Flowers. Jackie is the Chief Executive Officer of Tacoma Public Utilities. Jackie, welcome to Public Power Underground. Thank you. Great to be here with you all. We are and particularly in March. Women's History Month. So very exciting. That's right. For those of you that can't see, Humaira is doing small dance in her chair. If you're just listening, I'll 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 let everyone know when Humaira is dancing today. <laughs> All right. We're we are so glad that you're here. Uh, and we are it is a purposeful episode for Women's History Month to have all four of us here. So uh, we are excited to excited to do this today. Uh, on Public Power Underground, we talk about the electric utility enthusiasm, enthusiasm trifecta of electrification, markets, and people. On today's episode of Public Power Underground, we're approaching the people part from a representative workforce's perspective. Uh, we'll talk about the recent feature article in Northwest Public Power Association's bulletin about Tacoma Public Utilities workforce development strategy, and we'll let Almaz ask Jackie a tough question. Uh, we'll run through industry news in short to ground, and then we're closing it out with closing thoughts from Humaira Falkenberg. Before we get started, a quick word from our presenting sponsor. Almaz, did you know nuclear energy is America's largest source of climate-friendly power? Is that a thing you knew? I did not know that. I would have said hydro. Um, okay. Well, nuclear is probably 
in more parts of the country probably than hydro. Hydro is very river specific. I think. Yeah, I'm 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 very focused on the Northwest. In yeah, America, you're that. probably right. Yes, nuclear yeah. sounds right. Love that about you. Okay. In fact, nuclear energy provides about 50% of the country's carbon-free electricity. And Energy Northwest, our friends at Energy Northwest, is a premier provider of carbon-free electricity in the Pacific Northwest. Energy Northwest mission is to provide safe, reliable, cost-effective, responsible power generation and innovative energy and business solutions to its public power members and regional customers. Energy Northwest is proudly advancing the Northwest clean energy future to learn more do you know want to do you want to know how to learn more Amaz? yeah give me the info i need to know more okay okay let's let's learn more to learn more about energy northwest visit their website at energy-northwest.com that's energy-northwest.com our first segment today is public power desktop where we close out some browser tabs of energy and energy adjacent news Amaz, we're going to collaboratively introduce this topic but you're up first so please take it away all right, sounds good. This was this was an interesting uh, and long article, so yeah, we're going to tag team this one. That's true. Toma Public Utilities is on the cover of the February issue of the Northwest Public Power Association's Bulletin. The monthly magazine for NWPPA members highlights how Tacoma Public Utilities is building a workforce that is reflective of the community it serves. Tacoma has taken a step toward opening doors to diverse student populations by forming a partnership with local math, engineering, science, science achievement, or MESA organization. It is, it is a step with the deliberate intention of building the next generation of workers from the whole community, not just those who already have the requisite knowledge and access. Math, engineering, science achievement, or MESA programs are targeted to increase the representation of women, African-Americans, Latino, Native Americans, Native Hawaiians and Pacific Islanders in science, technology, engineering, and math, or STEM fields. MESA works with middle and high school students and focuses on exposing them to STEM careers and preparing them for transition into post-secondary pathways. The article notes that Tacoma Public Utilities hosted a three-week, 30-hour education program serving Mesa High School students from across Pierce County, introducing them to viable careers in in the utility industry. In 2022, the program's inaugural year, the 30 hours of curriculum immersed students in a mix of classroom and instruction presentations. They took facility tours and visited Tacoma Public Utilities to see and learn how and why utility employees do what they do. To measure the success of the first summer program with MESA, Tacoma provided pre- and post-surveys to students to measure their satisfaction and gather data about their interest in pursuing a career in the utility field. This type of programming is slow and will not immediately produce metrics that traditionally show successful change. It will take years to see the results. The article also notes that this programming is the beginning of what Tacoma Public Utilities believes is going to be is going to amount to real change in ensuring its workforce reflects its diverse community. To get us started, Jackie, what is the biggest takeaway you want electric utility enthusiasts who are seeking a workforce that reflects uh, their diverse communities to get from this endeavor? Yeah, thank you for the question. And thank you for the opportunity to talk about this important program and, and step. It's a step in, uh, it, within a full journey of, that we've got a suite of things that we're working on. But I think for me, you know, it's important to be intentional, right? And when I think of... Um, 
intentional. Uh, there's a quote about being mindful of intention and that it creates the seed for the future. You really can't arrive at this outcome without intentionally mapping pathways, programs, partnerships within your area, your community, and doing things different, right? So it's not going to come about and it's not going to result um, without intention and without action that follows through with that intention. Jackie, I love how you describe this path that the intention is the seed that needs to be nurtured and grown for the outcomes to reveal themselves over time, as Almaz was talking about. Um, I was wondering if internally at Tacoma, you looked at doing a 360 review of all of your processes related to inclusion um, and bringing in this idea of you're, you're growing this pipeline for future workforce. Um, so I'm wondering if you can speak to that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's been a, a journey, as I mentioned. And in 2018, when our board put together a policy priority series, they, um, with intention, their first strategic directive that they developed was around equity and inclusion. And it was at that point that we really looked to, you know, offer um, or take a, take a look at and assess how we were doing programmatically, how we were doing internally and externally with respect to providing equity, representing our, our community that we serve, and looking at our programs and services and how accessible they were. So that, you know, everything from stakeholder engagement to, you know, talent pipeline to the actual workforce demographic itself, uh, we started to measure and take a look at, you know, where were those disparities and basically thinking about what were those steps to take to, to arrive at, um, you know, evaluating. So, a 360, it, it might that might be a little more generous than than what it was. It took us a while to get the data to a point where we could trend it. In fact, we just have recently done a refresh over the last um, 2018 through 2022, see how we're doing, um, and then also would just say, you know, the we we stood up equity committees. They did assessments um, of our organization to take a look at key areas that we needed to work on, and we're really just continuing to drive focus on those gaps and, you know, look at trends that are concerning and try to come up with mitigating factors. Um, would also just mention that as we think about, you know, the, the community that we serve and the diversity that's there, um, as well as the talent pipeline, you know, our traditional places that we go and how we recruit talent, there was a mismatch, right? And so oftentimes, um, you know, areas of our community that maybe have been underserved or marginalized, their experience with us is not one that leads them to think of what kinds of careers are available in our industry. And we all know that our industry has incredible career opportunities, very um, enriching work and an opportunity to make a difference in people's lives. Um, but to some, the experience has been limited to, you know, having a power shut off or having a, a problem with the utility. And so as we look at different ways to build the relationship within our community and different pathways and pipelines for, you know, K through five to junior high to high school to, you know, that internship opportunity and really building upon the success of each segment of movement, that has been our focal point is to find those ways to identify pathways, pipelines, and help 
spark the interest in kids when they're young and continue to come back and build off of that um, through these processes. And the MESA program is, a, is an example of really, it's kind of the cherry on the top because it really brings it all home into a very focused career opportunity. And we're really excited to have had such, such a successful launch and we're looking forward to building off of that program and, and others that we have worked on developing. You know, Jackie, I love that you talk about the the pipeline and building in uh, the MESA program and how when those seeds are nurtured, right, our industry is known for having career opportunities that provide living wages, mm-hmm. the financial equity aspect of it, right? And so when you do target individuals and grow individuals and spark interest in young folk in career paths that could create financial equity, there's an inclusion aspect that your utility is aspiring to, right? Opening paths. Um, So I really, really appreciate you sharing that linkage between career paths um, and financial access, right? Um, The other thing I was thinking about is, Almaz, you were on the DEI uh, committee at Tacoma, right? What was your, can you talk a little bit about what your experience was while you were on the committee as well? Um, So so when I first started, I want to say it was in 20. 19, I guess. Um, and so so right around the time that the, the board was developing its um, strategic um, directives. Um, and, and so I was, um, I led the organizational assessment for, for TPU, um, where we looked at, uh, across our, our organization um, and, and did an assessment to see uh, where our baseline was uh, and, and compared that to where we wanted to be and, and developed a, a plan for how we were going to get there. Um, and then after I did that, I um, I also um, led one specifically for power, not at the the the, the TPU level. Um, I it, it was it was an experience, and it's gonna I guess it kind of leads a little bit into um, working working with uh, adults. So organizational change with uh, when you're dealing with adults is a lot different than than working with children. I'll just say um, it's it's so on on my at my lowest point, you will hear me say um, I give up on grown people. <laughs> You'll never hear me say I give up on kids ever. Um, so I, I used to be a teacher, but uh, I was a teacher for 10 years before I um, went back to school and got an engineering degree. Um, but so 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 what I'll say is that it was it was it it was not an easy path. Um, but what I what I wanted to 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 talk to have you mention a little bit more about Jackie was um so we we know that it's you know it's recognized that when you're when you're working with young people this is not a overnight solution you're not going to see the results of that for years but still um I'm wondering if when you got those surveys back from the children were there any leading indicators were there any is there anything in that in those results that that made you feel like um that this this is moving in the right direction that that you might see some 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 uh, return on this investment. Yeah, I, I mean, even you know, frankly, the interaction with the students that were here. I mean, we had we had some, and they were. It was it was fascinating how 
locked in they were on, I know why I want to be here. I want to know what you do for jobs. And, you know, that the power of that, um, it surprised me. I wasn't expecting to have folks that were part of that first cohort that came in and said, you know, I want to know what the line workers do, or I want to know what the, you know, water tech, water technician, the field water um, operators do. Um, and so we, we were like, we're going to hook you up, you know, with those, with those, uh, employees and let you job shadow them a bit. Um, so, so even that piece right there was like, oh, this is exactly what we need to be doing because, you know, not everybody has a direct connection to the industry. Um, you know, they think of it as their, you know, their grandfather's boring electric company or whatever, you know, I mean, they don't understand, um, or aren't aware of the incredible transformational opportunities that are happening and the jobs. And I think that that is, you know, for me, a key point, it's developing, um, a talent pipeline that we have capacity within that we've not tapped into. It's untapped potential in our own community that does, um, lead to, you know, stable, good paying jobs that helps them, you know, maybe move out of the cycle of poverty or move into a different, um, realm of their, you know, sustainability and stability. Um, and when I think about, you know, even the different programs that we kind of lead into this, making those connections over time. So, you know, keeping enough hands-on or exposure so that that curiosity continues and they start to see themselves in, oh yeah, I could see myself doing this, right? So whether it's the surveys or the actual interactions with folks, um, you know, I think that that was really powerful. And you know, we all know often in, in the electric industry, in particular in line work, um, there's usually a familial, familial relation, like you know somebody who was or your dad was a lineman or, you know, something like that. And there are, there are many people in our communities that don't know how to get into that or what it involves. And so just, again, kind of removing the mystery and helping them see this is the pathway I take. These are the types of things that I need to do to prepare and also being willing to do a pre-apprenticeships and other things like that to help prepare them to take the step into the field. Um, so I, I really do think it's like, it's multiple layers, right? It's the, it's the different pathways that where they are in their career and how we move them along, you know, towards that outcome. That's so great. Go oh, no, go ahead. No, you go ahead. And so I was going to ask, do you, is there any follow-up? Is this a, is this a, you know, a one, one-time program with the children or is there, a, what, what does the MESA program, if you know, how does MESA um, continue with these children so that they continue to have those opportunities to, and, and have that, um, that uh, exposure reinforced over time? Yeah. So, so it's not a one-time program for us. Um, we do look to continue to grow the relationship and have um, future cohorts. Um, you know, in terms of the the actual program, it's through uh, Pacific Lutheran University. They're the mm -hmm. ones who have, and they have many schools that are helping students explore the STEM subjects, and in particular, looking for ways to expose them to STEM careers and help prepare them. So, what what is the pathway to get to that job, right? And and that's part of that um, connection then that they have to you know, employers that are participating in the program. Um, so they they have kind of a strategic partnership that they're working to develop with the different workplaces that are part of their program. And again, that's, uh, it's a, it was our first cohort and, you know, we learned a lot and um, we're really excited to continue to offer the program and, and, you know, create that 
connectivity. Uh, we also have, of course, um, opportunities beyond, you know, that particular um, point in time. And we've started to develop our internships through Degrees of Change. It's a seed program that really looks to, you know, bring uh, more diverse talent to our internships. We've had great success there. So being able to point students, you know, hey, you're interested, here's another opportunity. So it's like the next opportunity mm -hmm. and bring that connectivity is really where it's important. And, you know, we've got a lot of work to do. We're early in this. Um, so it's not I don't, I wouldn't call us uh, proficient at it yet, but we're starting to see where, where the interconnectivity of the programs and the power of that um, to continue to advance them down the cycle. Well, cool. right on. I, I, I'm just, it, it makes me happy to see us working with, with young people. Cause um, yeah, anyway, that, that's where my heart is. Former teacher. Yeah. That's, that's where my joy is anyway. Yeah. And we need more, we need more diversity in our industry and in our disciplines. Like, you know, so I'm an engineer and um, I'm in my 30th year of my career, but, um, and we didn't have STEM programs, right. For, for girls or, um, you know, underrepresented minorities. We didn't have those, right. We didn't have, we didn't have any kind of, you know, I didn't really even know what engineers did when I was obviously young and even into high school. It's like, I think I want to be an engineer, but I don't really know what that is. Yeah. So, you know, the opportunity today to connect with young people and folks, at, uh, young adults as they're moving into their um, period of time where they're thinking about what they want to do, expose them to the incredible careers that we have and the opportunity to really make a difference. Um, I think it's just an incredible uh, win for us if we can start to intrigue more interest from you know, minority women, BIPOC, um, underrepresented uh, for our workforce. It's going to make us stronger. It's going to make us better providers of service, and it's going to give us access to a talent pipeline that we haven't we haven't explored before, like we should. And, and um, it will reflect your community. Yes. It will yes. reflect your community. And the power of you know whether it's those students in those future cohorts coming here and being able to physically see themselves in that role, right? Yeah. Representation matters. Yes. You yes, know, it does. So, uh, so Jackie, my question was, uh, did you guys have uh, a, another utility or organization that you were aware of that had done this and you were like, wow, you know, maybe they're like eight years into it instead of four. And it was like, we can see their results and we can see that it's having a positive impact and and that's why you did it or is like is TPU like you know leading the charge yeah i think if i was going to attribute it to any one you know area um it's probably building off of our we have a TPU academy that's fourth and fifth grade and the kids come in for a couple of weeks in the summer and they work side by side with engineers and scientists and hands on you know, ways where they're solving problems related to water, power, rail, because those were our three utilities. And um, it we, we do that with the Boys and Girls Club of Puget Sound, South Puget Sound. It's an incredible partnership. The students love it. It's um, really an opportunity for them to, you know, have some enriched learning that's fun and uh, focused on a STEM field. And so, you know, we just think about, we have this really high touch point with fourth and fifth graders, and then what? Right. So starting to look for those opportunities and partnerships within our community through the programs that are available that we can build off of is is an area that we're definitely focusing on and making those connections so we don't lose them. And we all know that. Right. So, I mean, as we think about our own 
journey to where we are. I know for me, that junior high period, I never thought I'd do anything science. I had zero confidence. I was terrible at it. And, you know, my seventh grade science teacher is still scratching his head thinking, what happened to her? <laughs> you know, so they think that's that's the key is not not losing people, um, lo- losing those young young adults as they move into their next level of education and, and get ready for career. Absolutely. Okay, Almaz, let's dig a little deeper into the lessons learned from this experience and how we can apply it to recruiting today. Okay, so let's go. Let's ask one more question here. So the 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 Mesa program again. We talked about this is a strategic, long term approach to cultivating a workforce um, that meets the needs of the energy transitions. However, utilities are finding a shortage um, in their workforce today. We talk about that a lot. So, are there any lessons learned from engaging with these students that we can learn and apply more broadly? For example, like. Did they share with you, you know, this this what this new workforce is actually looking for in in a, in a workforce uh, in the future, um, and so that you can figure out how we can model that so that we're ready when they're when they when they come of age. Um, were there any insights like that that you got from from these kids? I think it was you know probably was related more to like their interest in jobs and what the job what what they're passionate about, how they see you know these opportunities. Um, resonating with them and what they want to what they want to accomplish in their own personal, you know, job opportunities and understanding that it's it's more than just a job, right? It's a it's an ability to, you know, buy a house. It's connecting with people. It's helping the community. You have a path, a career path. Um, those kinds of things really resonated with the students, and in particular, you know, they just could see that this is a a longer journey than just. I'm just going to go do a job, right? And you can bring so much more. Also, that uh, ability to make a difference on areas that are key in society today. You know, kids are very passionate about clean energy. They're very passionate about electric vehicles. They're very passionate about the environment. And if you can be part of an organization that is not only living those values, but also is part of the solution to get there, um, I think that's a big motivator for for a lot of students. So, you know, I, I will say, I, you know, we've got we've got. We know we have work to do even within our own culture for retention and, and making it a, a culture that is not only inclusive, but but leads to people feeling like they belong and being part of an organization. And it's another area that we're very committed committed to focus on. Um, you know, when we did the early days of the equity and inclusion, we had, you know, external facing we would apply an equity lens to our programs and services and then internal facing. Our external facing has kind of evolved to targeted universalism where we're, I call it equity in action. We've now identified where the dis- disparate um, opportunities are and we're working to build and overcome those disparate opportunities. And that um, targeted universalism is the intention about making it a different outcome. We need a similar path and we're working on inclusive belonging for internal. We're early in the conversation and it's an area we'll continue. It will be critical to being able to, you know, not only attract a diverse um, employment base, but retain those that talent. And so we have to keep working on it. We've got a lot of work to do. Recruiting and retention. <laughs> right? I know the magic challenge of the day in this in this labor market in it's, particular. Yeah. Yep. You know, in, in terms of recruiting, you know, Jackie, um, I think even in in with respect to advertising for positions, having something at the bottom of 
um, the application that says that studies show that women and people of color are less likely to apply for jobs that they believe that they can perform every job description task. Stating that our talent acquisition goals would include hiring a candidate who is best able to meet the performance objectives of the roles, um, consider an equal equivalent combination of knowledge, skills, education, experience to meet minimum qualifications. And if the individual is applying, for them to consider broadly about their background and skill set for the role. You know, it's often said that men may consider that they, even if they meet 60% of the qualifications, they go for it. And women and, and people of color will look at that list. And if they don't meet every single item on that list, they wouldn't consider applying. Um, and the level of ingrained self-exclusion that happens as a result of um, internalized exclusion, if you will, makes an impact whether these individuals actually apply for these positions, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing to me how that is still so prominent in our in our society, in our industry. Um, I, I want to say, and I'm not exaggerating, I think five or six times in the last two weeks, I've had this exact conversation with women that have been considering jobs and have ruled themselves out. I'm like, do not shut the door before you've even walked to the door, right? You've gone through every reason that you don't think you're ready. And I can give an equal reason of why I think you are. And I've just, I even had a, a male colleague who um, was aware somebody was going to remove themselves from a list. And I'm like, call her, tell her, no, don't do that. You know, you can always turn down the job if it's not your right fit, but don't think that self-doubt that makes you think I can't do this. Um, it's amazing. It's so prominent. Did you have that experience when you were considering the position at Tacoma? When you Oh, were yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Are you kidding? I mean, when the recruiter called me, I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I'm not qualified. So she's like, well, tell me about your background. I started going through it. She's like, yes, yes, you know? And so I put it the whole way through the process. I'm like, yeah, this, I'm just, this is just me dusting off my skills. I, there's no way that I'm going to, you know, have a shot at this. Um, so yeah, like the whole way, you know? And then, and I will say, I think it's also, you know, it carries over into how we, um, that equitable compensation. And, you know, we know now how much longer in the year it takes you know, women, black women, uh, Latina women, et cetera, to get that equal pay. And that's another area we've got to just really work hard on. And, and so I think the stat I heard this morning is it's like a 20-year-long problem. Why can we not fix this? And then one more thing while I'm on the subject. Like coming out of the pandemic, there were there were so many families that were impacted and women had to make different choices. And they had to make hard choices. You know, if they if they couldn't find daycare providers or they couldn't find you know, there wasn't a place for their kids or they, you know, they were worried about um, uh, folks that had immune, immune com compromised conditions, you know, so they may have pulled out of the workforce and at some point they're going to come back. And I sure hope that we offer grace because that talent is still there. That skill is still there. They had hard decisions to make. And sometimes our industries aren't very friendly for that. You know, you have to have the stereotypical 
movement. And, and I just feel like we've got to, we've got to redefine that. There was a point in the pandemic might've been, I can't remember if it was early 2021 or 2022, but I remember when I heard the stat that women in the workforce was the lowest level it had been in 30 years. There was a point, 2021, 2022. And here I sit, you know, my 30th year, professional year. And I think you've got to be kidding me. There are fewer women now than when I started. Astounding, right? And that's a trend that we need to pay attention to and be concerned about and be part of the solution for. Mm. Yeah, that's depressing. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Hopefully it's getting better, but I don't know. <laughs> so my, my my mind is going straight towards why that might be the case. What do we have a lot more of now than we did 30 years ago? And I'm thinking, well, what are what what are the the social media um uh, role models that girls have right now? And in anyway, I, that's that's totally taking us into a different conversation, but um I I wanted to ask you ask you a follow-up though. Um Humira, because you mentioned, um, you know, the the nowadays you can see applications that will say, um, you know, women tend to, you know, not apply unless they meet 100 uh, percent, you know, but and so they are basically discounting themselves. Um, I've only just recently started saying this, so I'm not sure if there have been studies to, to look at the effectiveness of calling that out in job descriptions. I'm just curious if if anybody in the room has has heard anything about the effectiveness or potentially um the downsides of, of doing that yeah i i ha- i don't know of any um empirical studies that have tracked um you know applications that have that and the propensity for those that are historically been excluded to apply for those positions but when I have seen it myself, mm-hmm. I I was like, huh, this is an interesting organization. Huh, this is an organization that pays attention to culture and inclusion. It is an initial calling card for me about what an organization recognizes maybe some entry barriers for women or people of color. Um, and, and that's been my experience. So maybe I'm cynical, but for me, if I see that, um, I can very easily discount it as performative. Um, so mm-hmm. if, if you've been in an industry that has, that has um, done the performative stuff, um, and I, I think I, I don't know if I've told this story before. I love telling old stories from when I was a teacher. Um, so I used to teach these, uh, it was in a residential school. So the, the kids uh, lived at the school. And um, after lunch, I would make the kids go to second grade. I would make them take their plates to the kitchen, wash them as best they could. They obviously didn't do it well, but I just wanted to teach them responsibility. Um, but they would eat on these these trays and nobody wanted to pick up the trays. It was a group responsibility. Everybody had to pick up something. So uh, there was one day that um, like there was a group of five kids, one tray, a bunch of dishes on there. At the end of the meal, they all go and grab up their their um, their dishes. Um, and so they're like, I got these. I got these. I got these. And the, the youngest one was slow, too slow. And the only thing left was the tray. So what did he do? 
he picks up the, the spoons that are on the plate that another kid is already carrying. It was like, well, I got these. And it's like, so nobody uh, takes care of the, the you know, the, 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 the main thing that nobody wants to do. Right. Which was that tray. Um, and it feels like sometimes that's, I mean, and that's where we are those kids. As we grow up, we never grow out of that. Right. We always want to do uh, the easy thing and say, well, at least I've done the thing. Right. And if you, <laughs> if you've been in an industry um, or if you've been in, you know, had experiences with organizations that do the performative stuff, it can be really easy to look at that and say, yeah, no. And so I'm not trying to be, I'm not, so I'm I'm not saying do it or don't do it, or I'm really curious, just the engineer in me is curious about the evidence of whether or not it's effective. Um, but I was just offering that as a, um, if the goal is to, is to, um, convey that the organization is inclusive, um, perhaps you can do so in in showing evidence that it's inclusive, um, like going beyond words on on a on a PDF or a position description announcement and 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 show that evidence in in other ways. But that's that was just my my opinion. What what I see when I look at uh, at those at those things. Omaz, I love the story with the trays. And <laughs> and so the way I see it is that it's one indicator, right? It's one indicator. It, to me, doesn't necessarily suggest that the organization is inclusive, but it's one indicator. And it could very easily be performative and cause harm because an individual who's looking to go into an inclusive culture applies for the position right, goes mm-hmm. through the interview process and is harmed by the questions that are asked because the organization didn't really do a thorough review of its, you know, of its interviewing process as well as the hiring process. It was just to go ahead and do the easy thing and pick up the spoons and say, here, I'm going to put this language on our hiring thing. And I've checked the box on inclusion, right? It's it's the way I see it is that it's an it's an indicator, but that in itself is not sufficient to make a decision about an organization's culture, right? right. And right. I would also add that individual it it has to be systemic changes, right? So we have to have changes on an individual level with our individual biases and looking at that. We need to work on it on an interpersonal level, right? We need to work on it as an institution, mm-hmm. right? And we need to work on it systemically across the board of institutions and looking at policies and laws. Um, and and it seems like a lot of work. <laughs> it's true. And it's and the, because there are so many layered areas, you know, you can make progress in one and be kind of stalled out in another and be very frustrated. And we've, you know, we've had a lot of um, opportunities to excel a little bit more and learn. Um, and importantly, have also had some opportunities to celebrate some some wins. So, you know, it's it's work that's hard work and takes time and it's important work. And it's important that we continue to make progress. Yeah. And when you add diversity to equity, 
equity within an organization, right? When you're taking diversity and adding equity, you will invariably get to inclusion because yeah. you're entering voices that haven't historically been at the table. And those voices are empowered, right? Um, well, Almaz gave me my favorite Venn diagram and it's still on oh. my wall. And in fact, I drew it in a meeting. Uh, we were working on updating our values and we were talking about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. And right. um, a member that was participating said, well, I've been included before and didn't feel like I belonged. So, you know, it is it is an important, it's the three legs of the stool to get to that ultimate sweet spot. And so, yeah. 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 You know what, Jackie, you mentioned, so I, I, I don't know if you remember this, but um, last year, um, I got to this point where I'd, I'd start off each meeting, meeting by well, the, 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 the equity committee meetings by saying, somebody give me some good news. Like, what are we <laughs> celebrating today? Right? I don't know if in, in our meetings, if I ever did that, but you know, I'm going to do that today. What, what, give me something that we're celebrating right now. I haven't been, yeah, I've been on my sabbatical since, since November. So tell, yeah. me, tell me something that I, that I can be happy about. Yeah. So, I mean, Almaz, it's, you know, it's true. You were, you were one of the pioneers of the equity committee in those early years when, you know, we were still trying to figure out what does all this mean and where do we even go, right? And, you know, fast forward through the pandemic, which also just kind of um, elevated the urgency for doing more and being more effective. Um, so, you know, clearly I would say a, a big win for us, the external stuff is always going to be easier um, because, you I'll know, it's, it. you're not you're not interrupting the whatever my safety zone is, although we're seeing progress internal as well. But we've had we've had some really good uh, opportunities to put equity in action with our targeted universalism. And, you know, I'll give you a, for example, and this might actually even tie a little bit to, you know, as we think about the transition in the industry and being intentional about, you know, again, not leaving segments of our population behind. As you know, we've had a longstanding energy efficiency program in Tacoma. It's very successful. I would say it rallies, you know, anybody in the Northwest, a um, lot to be proud about. And the challenge that we ran into was not unique to Tacoma. So I want to make that clear. As we started to um, use the equity index that the city of Tacoma developed, and we expanded that equity index to include all of our Tacoma power and Tacoma water service territories, we would uh, take different data sets and overlay it on the ind equity index and see, okay, so our most underserved areas, how are they impacted? Are they getting the same level of benefit from programs and services or not? Mm. And of course, energy efficiency, we thought we got this in spades. You know, we've been doing it forever. And lo and behold, it did show inequities in underserved areas. And the reason why will not be surprising to you. It's, it's um, low-income tenants. So they don't own the building. And think about how that has been a hard nut to crack in our industry. How do we bring forward energy efficiency opportunities for people that don't own the building but pay the bill and, you know, do it without triggering a rent increase that then displaces them? It's a very, it's a very sensitive balance. So, so we found this, we found this gap. And, and then, of course, when you look at the equity index and the data, it does show that, you know, it's, it's a predominantly, you know, BIPOC area, right? And it's because there are more renters there. And so the team rolled up their sleeves and said, okay, we got to come up with a pilot to take a shot at this. And they rolled out the pilot last fall um, and they're still working through it. We're hoping to see some wins and, you know, lessons learned that we can adjust. But I think that's, that's 
using the equity index and putting equity in action to, you know, target a solution to that specific problem. And when I think about, you know, moving forward as we see more behind the meter, um, whether it's distributed generation or technology for managing your demand or electric vehicles, if we aren't intentional about how we deploy those programs, we could further that divide, right? So, so it really is about having that awareness, having the data of the current state so that we can make the right steps as we're as we're seeing modernization in our in our industry. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't think I've ever given a part on public power underground. You can I hope they can put that in, in the too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna send the uh, celebration sign. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. oh, yeah. oh, <laughs> uh, you guys are awesome. <laughs> yeah. Jackie, you really stated that so well. And um and and not just energy efficiency; it also includes uh, integration, net metering of solar solar panels on homes, right? Uh, and who's able to participate, and who has financial capital to be able to locate those solar panels on their homes? And if they can't own the home, they can't participate in net metering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Home ownership really is. Capital. It's yeah. uh, home ownership is kind of a, a foundational component to you know, wealth and opportunity. And that's, you know, I think, I think about that a lot when we, you know, not only deal with bill affordability, but also, you know, programs and services and how we're, how we're bringing equal opportunity to folks that don't have equal circumstance. That's right. Because not everybody starts on the same footing with respect to wealth accumulation in order to be able to purchase a home. Um, And so those family wage jobs that exist in our industry that allow the participation to purchase a home, a beginner home, right? Makes a huge difference in generations down the road, right? And I think um, thinking about recruitment and workforce um, and ensuring that the, the, the entry to participating in the power industry is wide open, creates that equity in action, right? Yeah, definitely. Okay, Humaira, we're going to stick with you, but we're going to have you pivot the conversation to uh, fostering and mentoring a diverse workforce uh, once we convince them to join our teams. (laughs) So once the folks are on the team, how do you, um, how do you, uh, retain, engage, and advance, right? Mm-hmm. And so one of the things, you know, I think about is the difference between mentorship and sponsorship. Um, sponsorship are those individuals that are in the C-suite carrying the receipts on your behalf when you're not present. And those are the individuals that are doing your advocacy when you're not in the room versus mentors who are growing you with skill sets and counseling and so on and so forth. And so I was wondering, Jackie, if you could speak to a little bit about how you have mentored individuals and how you have played a role as being a sponsor and who has done that for you. Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, I often share with um 
with folks when I talk about mentoring, because, you know, again, think back, I'm, I'm into my 30th year. So backtrack, there weren't a lot of women in the industry that I was in and then the field I was in. So oftentimes I wasn't only, and, you know, if I wouldn't have had male mentors, I wouldn't have had mentors. So, so it's, you know, I have to, I have to attribute to them the, the great work that they've done. Um, and their, their willingness to, you know, advocate on my behalf or, maybe even boost my confidence, right? As I was having that self-doubt. So I I have been excited to be part of different programs here. Um, you know, of course we have affinity groups um, that that help, you know, for that isolation, that feeling of, you know, there's nobody else on my team that looks like me, connecting them within the organization and and providing that opportunity to, you know, collaborate across across the silos of our organization, if you will. Um, also would say, you know, we've, we set up mentoring, mentor, mentoring programs and we've used for me more of a, it's like a mentoring circle because, you know, it gives an opportunity to have engagement with a broader group um, and really, you know, give them an opportunity to share with me their experience or their concerns. And then um, also, you know, working hard to center the voices and center the voices of those that have the lived experience that have been impacted um, and think about that as we construct programs or opportunities. Um, it's an area that we continue to work on. Like, you know, when you're at the table and you're having a meeting or you set up a committee for a particular type of um, program, look around the table. Like the are the people that have had the lived experience that maybe would not have led to the opportunity had it not been you know, front and center. Are they at the table? Are they helping to develop the programs? And we're seeing that more even in how we do our stakeholder engagement. So again, you know, the employees that have lived in Tacoma for a long time and have ties to areas of Tacoma that have been underserved, you know, are helping to create our outreach programs and really help us to meet customers where they are, um, which is important for, you know, for the next phase of opportunities that we're going to explore for our customers. So, so I think it's that it's, it's being intentional. Again, it comes back to that, you you know, these things aren't going to change without intention and action. And you have to, you have to have intention to have the right action for sure. (laughs) I love it. Uh, So a mentoring circle, how about with respect to sponsorship? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And and growing that ethos within the company's culture, right? So if you could speak. Yeah. So, I mean, again, I would say, um, you know, whether it's taking active interest in, you know, an employee who wants to get involved in an initiative or maybe get outside of their typical comfort zone and share with them, you know, what you see, the values that when celebrate with them on their wins, um, those types of things. And then also, you know, say, hey, I know you guys are working on this. I think this employee could really bring good value to the conversation and the experience. And based on my experience, they would be um, great at being part of the solution, making those connections. Um, oftentimes, people may, may not even know who who's doing what in an organization that's big like this. So, you know, having I have the unique opportunity because I'm able to look across and deal more broadly with, um, you know, employees throughout. And I'm more, uh, I guess I'll say disciplined about looking for that, that voice that's, that's unique and that experience that's unique and, 
amplifying it, right? Making sure that it's at the table, it's heard, that it's attributed to the right person and that you're there, you know, celebrating their success. That's right. right. Yeah. yeah. One of, you know, Jackie, um, one of the things that I do at Pacific PUD, right, is particularly for the front office staff, which are women and our customer service representatives, right? Um, mm-hmm. And and my level of consciousness, like intention, as you describe, is taking our organization chart and showing on that organization chart who does what and anticipated date of retirement. Mm-hmm. Just to check, anticipated date of retirement. And then ask these individuals, particularly these women, where do you see yourself career-wise moving in five years or 10 years? And what are the skill sets do you need given the organization we have and the rollover we may have? And how do you see yourself moving Mm -hmm. and advancing, right? Just that level of visibility is so valuable. Yeah. Well, Humera, what you've just described is kind of what I what I would hope is like one of our next steps in um, retention and talent development. And I think about, you know, we've had retention programs. They, they predate me and they haven't been active um, and we need to refresh them. But to me, it's not, it's not, a, it's not the traditional program. It's not about this person is going to have this job. It's about building that that next level of leader across the organization. Mm-hmm. And it and the movement may not be up the chain that you're currently in because that, you know, there may not be movement, but the reality is there's going to be movement across the organization. And so building that awareness about, you know, what we do and what's available. I hadn't thought about like just noting anticipated retirement Which. dates, even if it was timelines, you know, less than five years. Um, I I told somebody, I said, I almost feel like we need the TPU Academy for TPU employees so that they can get around in the organization and see, you know, what's out there. And and then from that, we can start to really think about how do we develop you as a leader with intention about diversity and representation, you know, within that group and those opportunities. So um, there's conversations about that. We haven't we haven't kicked anything off yet, but I, I would say it's in the one year timeline for sure. Oh, that's so wonderful. I'm putting emojis up on my screen. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so far, we've had the heart emoji and the party emoji, I think is what it would be to <laughs> refer and to if you, as. If you have a, a program like that that you've tested, I'd sure love to to build off of it. So for you sure. Know, it's it's not a program. Uh, it's not it's not a program. I just, you know, I am 20 over 20 years in my career, and I am Jackie and you know Karen and Almaz both know I am so passionate about centering women and women's voices in whether it's in the electric industry or in the outdoor industry um because I think when women participate everyone benefits um and those that have been historically excluded out of centers of power when there is an equitable participation on their part everyone benefits, the organization benefits, the society benefits. Um, And so what I did at Pacific was I essentially saw a need Mm -hmm. and I thought, you know, 
in a very informal way, um, I'm going to do this. Yeah. And, uh, um, you know, we don't have a HR department, if you will. Um, but I was like, you know, I have responsibility because I have the ability to respond. I am a senior manager. I manage over 55% of the utilities budget. It's my responsibility to ensure that folks know what choices are available to them, right? Definitely, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> and taking a, you know, personal interest and, you know, that's, so my, one of my um, favorite books is The Waymaker. Um, and I'm going to forget the name of the author, Tara, Tara. Anyway, it, you know, for me, it really brings into light the opportunity that I have and the responsibility that I have mm-hmm. as a women leader. And as somebody who's, you know, passionate about building a diverse workforce that is centered around belonging, um, you know, I need to be th- intentional every day about what opportunity am I providing? Where where am I the catalyst? So, you know, these are these opportunities don't happen because of me. They happen because we have talent. It's just helping that talent be seen and have the way. So it's the pathway. It's the equivalent of what we're doing with, you know, students, but also with employees being the way maker. Yeah. It's a great book. Waymaker. I'm going to have to uh, find the book, Jackie. I'm always looking for great recommendations. I did the audio book and then I had to buy the paper book so that I could listen to it again and highlight sections because it was so good. So it was good. I'll put that in the show notes, please. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So uh, that's it. We'll hit the typewriter and move on. That is all the scripted topics we have this this week. But up next is a TIL segment I'm calling Almaz's Insightful Question of the Week. Uh, because she's been asking our guests what she has qual- called, quote, unfair questions. But really, they always turn out to be incredibly insightful if uh, unfiltered and unscripted. <laughs> so, Almaz, what insightful question do you have for us this week? So the funny thing is I had a come all the way up until about two minutes ago. I had the question in my head that I was going to ask Jackie. Maybe I'll ask them both. But just now what Humara said um, it, it has spun me in a different direction. So really unfiltered and unscripted right now. <laughs> um, so when I'm going to ask you, Jackie, uh, what you would say to someone who who has a similar experience as me. So what, when, when I, when I joined the, the equity committee, so last year, after having served uh, over three years on the equity committees, um, I, I said, tell you, I was every meeting lasting, somebody tell me some good news because honestly, um, after everything, I was not feeling like I was effective. So I had a vision of what I wanted to accomplish and in three years, I didn't feel like I had accomplished that. So I actually stepped down from from the the, the leadership, passed it on to to somebody else. And when I took my sabbatical, I told myself I had like I the role that I was in. Like you all are are leaders in your organization, right? Having fifty percent of the the utilities budget. You, Jackie, being the the director of the utility, I'm neither of those things, right? So when it comes to positional power. I didn't have that and couldn't institute the changes that I wanted and, and really felt ineffective. Um, and so I, 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 what I decided to do was step away 
and and find where in life, because everybody has some kind of power, like maybe it's not the positional power in the organization, but it's somewhere. What was the thing that I had control over? Um, and I was going to affect change in that regard. Um, so that's that's what I did. Like, I, and I told you at my at my lowest, I'll say I give up on the on on grown people and just focus on the kids, right? And one of the things that I did was be very deliberate about mentoring. So reached out to folks that um, I felt had not been given a, a or had 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 been. Um, I didn't feel had been given a good shake during an interview process and offered to be their mentor. Like I, what are those things that I have in, 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 I'm in control over, but the truth is you can't actually give up on grown people, right? Somebody still has to do that work anyway. Um, so my question to you is what do you say to someone who, who has said, <laughs> who's done what I've done and said, you know what, let me find a different path. I don't feel like I, I've been effective. Yeah. Well, um, before I answer your question, I want to honor you, Almaz, um, because you had a huge impact. And it, you know, sometimes when we're in the fight, it's not as apparent, right? We literally are building off the foundation that you built, and we could not have done it without without the foundation you set. Um, It's interesting because sometimes we feel like we stall out, and then it's like, okay. Let's take a minute. Let's look at where we've come. And and really, we're working on right now an update to our um, equity and inclusion SD strategic directive. And it's at that point where it's like all of these things that happened, you know, and it it's because of your leadership. It's because of your um, willingness to share and be open about your experience. And it's because of your intelligence and your strategic mind and your all, all the things that are uniquely Almaz. And so I just, I want to say thank you because that's probably not something that, that I've had a chance to do as we've been working on this point of reflection and, and a pivot. Um, and just want you to know that, you know, you, you, you put us on the track, right? I also recognize and am incredibly um, thankful for, for people that share that experience, knowing that there's, there's a burden there, right? It is hard work. It's hard work when you've been, um, you know, when you've been impacted and reliving that. And there are so many people in this organization that have, have trusted me to share their experience um, that have helped me grow, that have helped me see my, my blind spots and helped me see my, my obligation, right? In this, in this role. And I could not have done that. I could not have had the growth that I've had over the last few years without, without people that have, um, you know, carried the burden a little bit again, right? Every time. And, and I do think of that when I think about that. It's kind of a high burnout um, job focus and in particular that leadership point to your point. So, so I think, you know, when, when you have somebody like that, first of all, um, recognize that as the work is being done, it's falling to those that have been most impacted again because they have the lived experience. And we have to build in into our programs and our systems that support network that that says, hey, it's okay to take a step back, rally around you for that self-care and you know, focus for the group on where the progress is being made. Cause it is, it can be overwhelming if it feels like it's not moving. Right. And we all knew that it was not going to move fast enough for for the majority of us. Um, maybe some were feeling it was moving too fast. But 
you know, at the end of the day, I think we have to be, we need to honor our employees that are doing this work with that grace and that realization that it it takes some tag teaming. It takes it takes time to recover. It takes time for break, and not not just run it into the ground. You know. Yeah. Appreciate that, uh, Jackie um, and Almaz. Thank you for sharing your personal story. Um, and your story is actually not all that different from my own personal experiences on serving on boards in um, outdoor organizations where DEI committees have been created and the vast majority of the work falls in my lap or other marginalized identities lap, for instance. And I think, Jackie, what you're saying is that, you know, the system needs to recognize that that work doesn't land, doesn't land on that individual's shoulders. Actually, other people in the group need to take responsibility and say, you know, we're first and foremost, we're not going to cause harm. Right. No, you have to have that. You, well, and even having the awareness that it can. And so I think, you know, w- was there a lesson learned that too much of the burden was carried by those that that are most impacted? Yes, right? And that's, I think that's the piece is that intention of being clear, we're not going to cause harm, being clear that you're going to have the support and the resources and the, and the ability to take a step back. Like, that's right. it shouldn't all be on, on that group. And that's the other thing, you know, we were... We have the equity committee. We have subcommittees in power and water and um, customer services had one for a while and had to take a break with the uh, pandemic rearages, but they're re-engaging and we're, you know, bringing everybody together in a retreat to talk about inclusionary practices and reconnecting the executive team to the work to show that active sponsorship and carry more of that load. Um, So, yeah, it's, and you have to be reminded along the way, Humira, it's right can't forget that we're that that we're people and we're dealing with people and there's a whole experience and we want we want to have that success of the outcome and the belonging for for the for the people doing the work as well as those that come later yeah and and it's all predicated and starts with do no harm first Mm -hmm. and foremost um yeah yeah Thank, thank you for the answer Jackie. Thank you for the opportunity. Now you have me curious about the other question. That was, was, really, that that was a really good question. one. So if you don't mind, I'll go ahead and ask. So this one had to do uh, or to do with um, um, how we value masculine and feminine, feminine uh, traits in the workplace. Um, so historically, jobs that have been held, that held predominantly by women paid less than jobs held uh, predominantly by men. And this is this is separate from the issue of pay equity, where it's like man and woman doing the same job, but getting paid less. Um, but but it's still the, you know, kind of the same issue. Um, um, so in, in some regards, you know, we can see payment, uh, you know, as a, you know, income or not payment salary as a way that we value um, um, women in the workforce. Um, and, you know, you might have even heard, for example, women will say that in order to advance, they've had to adopt, uh, you know, let go of 
stereotypical feminine traits and and adopt you know the 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 male characteristics or typical male characteristics whatever that that may mean um so i'm just curious as a leader what your thoughts on on whether or not our industry truly does value feminine traits um, in the organization and when and what does that value mean does it translate into salary um or do, or or is it is it some other way that the industry values uh, the contributions uh, or the, the uniquely, uniquely feminine traits in, in the organization? Wow. You know, that's a that question, right? <laughs> <laughs> My mind is racing a thousand miles. I mean, I'm thinking about the, you know, how we adopt, I mean, I, me and my jacket, I don't, I mean, I wear men's shoes because I, anyway, it's an engineer for a long time. So got to conform. <laughs> um so yeah, racing there. Also thinking about uh, this last week, at, um, we have a management forum where we have the executive leaders and then their direct reports. So it's all the senior leaders get together a couple times a month for meetings. And we had our Women's Link, which is a the women affinity group, um, came in and did the 50 ways to fight bias exercise. And we had breakout sessions and went through you know some of the different stereotypes and um, attributes that, you know, people attribute to women and in, in a negative kind of microaggression way. And it was a really interesting um, effort. And, you know, all these years later, we're still finding those things that, you know, so it makes me think, I don't know that we're to a point yet where we're truly valued for what we bring. I am I mean, it, I probably would have answered that question differently before we went through this exercise. And then it's just like, wow, we're still doing that, right? We're still doing that thing where, I really like her, right? Not she's strategic, she's intelligent. It's like she's very likable. Um, so I don't know that we're there yet. Hey, I don't know. I'd be curious to hear answer. what others think, right? Honest answer. Tamara, uh, what do you think? You know, I like you, Jackie, I don't think we are there. I don't think we're there as an industry and I don't think we are there as a society, but if there is ever a time in our history that we need women's voices to rise to a high level, given climate change as an existential threat, it is we need women um leading and you know you think about the role the the archetypes of women the maiden mm-hmm. right um and then the archetype after the maiden is the the woman who is working or is uh in midlife um trying to balance balance the power of the maiden and the power of the crone and then you have the archetype of the crone right who who has gone through the youth and beauty who's gone through having to um the the tug of being in the middle to being really like I have tremendous amount of power I don't need to care about what folks think about me Um, And I'm going to use my responsibility for greater good, right? Um, And the power of the feminine and the embodied power of the feminine, right? Like 
connection with our emotions, connections with our physical breath, with our body, how we nurture for our community and show empathy and show up for children and show up for our neighbors. And those very feminine qualities are on the front facing side in the utility sector with our customers. Back to what Amal's was talking about, right? Mm-hmm. And and those are the very jobs that are paid least in the utility sector, right? So, um, so there's that one aspect, and then the other aspect of feminine power, female power that I think about is when we are in a boardroom, how we as women leaders conduct ourselves. Are we conducting ourselves through a model of patriarchy? In, in terms of shutting other women down or making those comments of, well, she's likable, she's not likable. Um, or are we looking at other women around the room and elevating their voices, right? You know, or behind the scenes, even encouraging our male colleagues to say, hey, I need your support on this. It's helpful if I make a comment that you follow up with support. Because in this male-dominated C-suite, you elevating my voice helps this issue. Yeah, I don't think we're there yet. Karen, I see you. <laughs> oh, well, no, I, I agree that we are not there yet. Uh, but I, I um, two points. One, to your point where the the sort of disappointment that we all just felt when you made your comment uh, with having the male counterpart uh, say, you know, repeat the comment or reinforce the comment and and the fact that that is still needed. Um, I think, I think all four of us like internally side, because we all know it's true. Um, No, I I do. I do. I think it's true that uh, in our, in our industry and in society that, no female uh, attributes are are not uh, not valued nearly as as highly, and it's there. There's pockets, you know, where where someone some male counterpart is is helpful to certain people or certain because I I mean I have I have male counterparts in 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 my job that are supportive of me, but I know that I I am just one person in in one instance, and so I know it's it's something to strive for where we are. Uh, on that level playing field. And it's, uh, we want her here because she adds value because of her knowledge and her right. insight and not because she's nice. So, yeah. <laughs> so, <Emoji>. I, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm curious to know, I mean, when you think about though, we are sitting here at a point in time where we have more females in the C-suite than we ever have. We've got a lot of females in the Northwest you know, leading utilities. And so how do you reconcile that, right? It's kind of an interesting juxtaposition to say, you know, we don't, we don't necessarily see that industry values us. And, you know, Karen's got the right point. There are clearly um, models of, you know, male counterparts that are amplifying voices that are not taking credit for women's work that are um, that those mentors. But so yet we we don't necessarily completely fill it, and we've got this the best representation we've ever had at that at the executive level. So, how do you reconcile that? 
And we yeah, still have can... a long ways to go. Yeah. <laughs> That's that we might be a... part two, part two of this episode. <laughs> yeah. And we still have a long ways to go because then you also think about in terms of when we do have women representation in the C-suite, what sort of women are sitting in that C-suite, right? Because there's a responsibility amongst the white women that are in the C-suite to say, okay, where are my other sisters and how right. am I bringing them along, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so Paul, part two, just let us know and we can we can calendar this in and bring everybody back. <laughs> I just want to know if anybody's ever seen Almaz's great quick uh quit unscripted question and raised it one. <laughs> right? I love it. was a tongue it. twister. <laughs> oh, that was great. Okay, we're taking a quick quick break and then we'll come back and close out the episode with short to ground and then closing thoughts from Humira. Public Power Underground is brought to you by NWPPA. The Northwest Public Power Association believes in the power of training and education. Every year, more than 6,500 public power employees learn and network at our classes, webinars, workshops, and conferences. NWPPA offers more than 200 event, 250 events, wowzer, to choose from in areas such as leadership, engineering, operations, accounting, and finance, communications, and many more. Sometimes this very podcast, Public Power Underground, is broadcast live from one of our events. We call that being more powerful together. What will you learn this year? Find an event that's right for you at nwppa.org forward slash catalog. That's nwppa.org forward slash catalog. This is Short to Ground, a segment where we blow a fuse covering the news. I'm Karen Heim. And I'm Almaz Nagesh. And we're Shorting to Ground. (laughs) So it is really hard. Okay. (laughs) Go ahead, Almaz. (laughs) Billy Kohler, the general manager of West Oregon Electric Cooperative, is one of eight dynamic CEOs from electric cooperatives across the country who are featured in a national rural electric magazine story about workforce changes. Kohler is also one of the youngest general managers in the entire co-op network. When she was hired in 2015 as a member services rep, CEO Bob Perry noticed Kohler's knack for diffusing difficult situations while shouldering more responsibility. He resolved to pour everything, quote, pour everything I had into helping her excel, unquote. When Kohler wasn't managing member services and HR, she was working with the chief financial officer on accounting and Perry on board relations. She says that wide ranging experience gave her the confidence to move forward. She was named general manager in 2021. In other electric cooperative news, Lane Electric Cooperative, based in Eugene, Oregon, has broken with uh, with tradition with little recognition. In an industry and cooperative program historically dominated by men, Lane Electric's seven-member board of directors includes six women working with Debbie Wilson, the first female general manager in the co-op's 83-year history. The Natural Rural Electric Cooperative Association, or NRACA, a trade group representing the nation's uh, approximately 900 cooperatives, says the current board is, quote, unique, historic, and monumental unquote. We didn't set out to make history, says Jay Ingrid Kessler, a retired veterinarian who ran a successful clinic in Eugene. Lane's members just elected outstanding candidates who happened to be women. That's all we have for TLDR. Thanks to Public Power Underground uh, and News Data for letting us use their leads. Uh, Let's close out the segment, Almaz. That's Short Short to Ground. ground. That was the best one. That was the best (laughs) one thus far ever. 
Okay. Well, that's all we're covering this week. Wonderful, wonderful job being the celebrity guest star, Jackie. I hope you feel seen, heard, valued, and appreciated. Likewise to you all. It was great to be with you today and talk about these meaty topics. So it was really, really great. Really enjoyed it. Uh, and then uh, Almaz and Humaira, do you feel valued, appreciated, seen, and heard? Yes. Absolutely. Oh, fantastic. Always. Okay, Uh, that's all the energy and energy adjacent news we're covering this week. We're closing out today's episode with closing thoughts from Humaira Falkenberg. Go ahead, Humaira. March is Women's History Month. It is dedicated to reflecting on the often overlooked achievements and contributions of women in history. Even as we celebrate women in public power like Sue Kelly, Vicki Van Sant, Jerry Leone, Nancy Baker, Joy Ditto, Jean Reichman, Wyla Wood, Joe Elg, and others. We need to focus on the women of today and tomorrow. Women's participation and leadership is necessary in all parts of our workforce. Leveling up and supporting the retention of a more diverse workforce benefits all of public power and reflects our mix of communities. The full participation of women in public power is actually a foundational tenant to local control. But despite progress, women continue to face systemic barriers to full and equal participation in our industry from the lack of on-site childcare or private physical space for women to breastfeed or stingy maternity leave, limited access to not just mentorship, but to sponsorship in the C-suite, to even limiting education for our front office staff, which are predominantly women. These obstacles need to be removed. Identifying and developing the untapped potential of those in the workforce who have historically been underrepresented in public power or to restricted to specific roles based on race, gender, or ethnicity actually pushes the ideals of public power into a new frontier. Throughout our history, by virtue of us sticking to our core values of community ownership, nonprofit operations, responsible and responsive service, local decision-making, public power has remained as an example of how utilities can serve all customers. Inclusion has always been a core value within public power. Rural electrification brought power to the people. And as we advance gender equity and equality, let's recognize that public power's future is very much interconnected. When opportunities for women in the industry are withheld, we all suffer. When women's lives are improved, we all benefit. Let's strive to create a public power industry that centers the voices of women. Seat women at every table where decisions are made. And let's not forget that even as we define gender, 
gender is constantly expanding. That definition is changing. As women, we can lead the charge to ensure all marginalized communities benefit from advocacy, self-care, and empowerment that we embody in our local communities. Public power and public power utilities reflect local values, including a decarbonized future. Striving for affordability and fairness in rates. And we are not, and we are beholden only to the public and not to the shareholder. To remain relevant, our workforce needs to represent the community we serve, to contribute to the community's vitality, affordability, reliability, and inclusion are energy justice and work. Public power. Let's celebrate Women's History Month as we charge an energy future that is just for all. Thank you. We started in hard times to bring us all in. Into the Public Power Underground is a production of Seattle City Light and News Data. The views expressed here are our own and not the official views of Seattle City Light, Tacoma Public Utilities, PPC, Pacific County PUD, News Data, or the organization of the guests also appearing on Public Power Underground. Public Power Underground is electric utility and electric utility adjacent news from a power department's perspective. The executive producer of today's episode was Crystal Ball. It was written by Crystal Ball, Karen Heim, Humaira Falkenberg, Almaz Nagesh, and Paul Dockery. And it's edited and published by the stellar team at Pioneer Utility Resources, with sound mixing by Lucas Smith and video editing by Brendan Desler. Our theme song, Roll On Enthusiast, was rewritten, performed, and recorded by Aaron Guillory and Ian Bledsoe. You don't have to be subscribed to News Data's weekly newsletter to get this podcast, but it sure makes the podcast make a whole lot more sense. Public Power Underground, for electric utility enthusiasts. Public Power Underground. It's work to watch.